Well, this morning uh, we're going to have uh, Flora Rankin read our passage of scripture for us. So, Flora, would you come up? Now, uh, bef- before you read, Flora, just have a uh, just have a couple of questions for you, at least one. So, how long have you and Wayne been married? Fifty-five years. Fifty-five years. It, yeah. I am curious. It, anybody else in this morning can top that? Probably. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking. I was wondering about that, Bob. Great. All right. You want to read our passage? Okay. Our passage today is from Ruth, chapter one, verses sixteen through nineteen. Ruth replied, "Don't ask me to leave you and turn back." Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued their journey When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited for their arrival. Ruth 1, 16 through 19. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you for reading, Flora. Who who better to read that passage of scripture than somebody who's been almost married longer than anybody else in this uh, space this morning. That is an awesome passage of scripture. Well, I need to set this down, otherwise I'm going to throw it uh, accidentally. Um, You know, uh, it is, uh, Valentine's Day is only 10 days away. Uh, Guys, thank me for that, by the way. I, I do not say that to threaten, scare, or harm any. It's simply a fact. Uh, there is truly a redemption to this year's Valentine's Day, though, so if some of you are coming up to it with dread, there is redemption, and it is Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent for some of us, and uh, in case you're like, I have no idea what Lent is, let me me tell you what it is. Lent is the solemn uh, religious, Christian religious observance uh, in the liturgical Christian calendar commemorating the 40 days Jesus spent fasting in the desert and enduring temptation by Satan. According, and you'll find this in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, before his public ministry started in leading up to Easter. And so that's Lent for you in a nutshell. So there's a redemptive for some of you are like, ah, oh, this Hallmark holiday gets me every year, right? Um, there's something redemptive. So we are wonderfully placed to love God, love all people, and follow Jesus together. Have you noticed there is a lot of love in that mission? There's just a lot of love in that mission. And as somebody questioned recently in a space some of us were in, what does it mean to love? What does it mean to love? Well, As we talked about last week and I introduced this series, we're going to look at it in four distinct areas, but not in every area, um, and four distinct areas over this month. So um, uh, Mary Kreiderman helped me this morning 
we ask the question, what do you love? What do you love? Uh, some of us love the sunshine, right? Coffee, kids and grandkids. Uh, probably for the person who wrote that and wrote grandkids, it's flipped, right? It's grandkids now and a little less on the kids' end, right? Yeah, I get that. Fly fishing. Uh, somebody wrote my chickens. Uh, uh, Star Wars, Jesus, Jesus and coffee, right? Backpacking, grandkids, uh, somebody wrote wife, donuts, Mike, uh, vacation, chocolate. I, I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, right? Of the things that we love. The interesting thing is I was doing a little bit of research on this topic uh, of love. Uh, somebody made the comment that love is an accordion word. It means something, but it doesn't mean everything. So I did a little uh, request, and I thought, if Mark can play the drums, <laughs> and we can have two new, whoa, whoa, shh, quiet, quiet, before I break out in polka, right? I mean, think about it. Love is an accordion word, and I'm struggling. It's not like putting a backpack on, let me tell you. That's a little bit easier. Excuse me. Um. So, right? I mean, some of us would say we love pizza, right? Right? And some of us would say we love our wives. You don't like this? Isn't love, though, an accordion word? You can say, man, I, I, I love baseball. But then somebody will say, but I love my wife. Right? Let's see if I can do the chord. Right? I mean, we just, we've made love into meaning everything and anything we want it to mean. And just like the accordion, somebody else, somebody's going to tell me, I think it's an organ that you strap on, but some would say it's more related to the bagpipes, right? Some would say, well, no, it's truly just a wind instrument, right? Well, I mean, right? There's, I mean, we don't know what it is. <laughs> I mean, seriously, we do not know what an accordion is. Just like we don't know often what love means, right? I mean, it's this kind of, this word that we use for everything and anything. I remember in elementary school uh, where letters were passed back and forth between girls and boys. Uh, maybe you remember these days. It wasn't sneaking texting. It was actually notes. Okay. And they would be asking, do you like me? check yes or no, right? Do you remember those days? Maybe it didn't happen in your school. I don't know, but... And then, before you knew it, uh, and Kathy and I had this conversation, she said, that really happened at your school? I'm like, yeah, did it ever happen to you? No, and you'll understand here in a second. Before you knew it, these, per these people, uh, individuals, boys and girls, would be checking yes, and then about, you know, within a day or so, they would be married behind, you know, out in recess, with flowers and the whole thing. 
And before the week was out, they were no longer in love. It does make you question, though, how do we learn what love is? I mean, you know, if it's this accordion word that I love pizza, uh, and hopefully not in the same way that you love your spouse, or you love your kids or your grandkids, and kids in elementary school say, I love you to each other, and yet within a week, period of time from checking yes to uh, being married or going steady or whatever it may be, they're already like out of love, right? I mean, what is the definition of love? It's stretched way beyond what it's ever intended to be. No wonder we don't know what love is. No wonder we can't spot it when it actually happens, when it's actually happening, when we actually live it out. Right? Maybe that's why we went through so many iterations when we were younger of, you know, that song, trying to find love in all wrong places, right? Yeah. But as we read scripture, as we read God's word, we understand this, that love is what you build things on in life. It is the only and solid foundation. And why do I say that? Because of this verse in 1 John 4.8. God is love. God is love. Now, think with me, and if you're not familiar with scripture, that's okay. I want to take you through a little journey here. John was one of uh, Jesus' first disciples. He was called by Jesus to be his disciple. In fact, in the book, in the, in the manuscript, the letter of John, or the gospel of John, he refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. Isn't that a little, you know, Right? But we also know this about John, that he was probably the last surviving disciple. He was probably the last surviving disciple. And so when he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he is writing in a way that he wants the world to understand who God is, who Jesus was and is, and what he has come to do in a profound way. And this is what he writes. God is love. He could have written anything else. He could have written, God is king, God is your warrior. I mean, he could have just said, God is is Lord. But he said, no, 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 no. God is love. God is love. I mean, and he had experienced it not only through the whole period of time and the cross and the ascension, but even beyond in the scattering of the church And he wants the world to know that God is love. It's found in this greater passage in 1 John 4. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that he might have eternal life through him. That is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I mean, in this 
place and space, John makes it really clear that God is love. And let me tell you why I know he's love is because he, he sent his son to die on behalf of you, on behalf of the world, that they may be re- reconciled to the one and only God who is love. It is an incredible statement and a clarity this world desperately needs. Not only from God himself and through his word, but from his people who are living and thriving and existing inside the love that God has given. I think this is what John is attempting to get across very clearly and very succinctly, is that love is as firm as concrete. Concrete, not cement, as I was pointed out by an engineer one time when I said, I referred to something as being as firm as cement. He said, you know, cement's not very firm. It's concrete that is. I'm like, thank you. Uh, I mean, love, love is as firm as concrete. You can build your life on it when it's found in God. Now, for some of us who... Uh, are married or dating or want to be, let me give you a few clues that might help out to create a little uh, concrete platform for your love to stand on in those relationships, Uh, right? It's very easy for us to look at the one we love and say, hey, babe, I love you. And they may go, oh, thank you. But if we continue to say that term over and over again, man, I love you, After a while, somebody with a little bit of curiosity and a a lot of wondering will say, what is that love based on? So maybe, just maybe, as we roll ourselves through this month and roll ourselves through uh, this idea of romantic love and uh, that idea which there's nothing wrong with it, we need to build a little bit solid base, not only on our foundation of Christianity and love, but also in our relationships about love. So let me just... Let me just uh, give you a few helpful hints. It's, uh, it's no extra cost. So what does this mean? So uh, you might want to say this. Uh, you know, I want to share three reasons why I trust you. You know, trust is what, where love is built. It's love is there, but you then are able to say to your loved one in some concrete ways why you love them. Uh, I want to share with you two reasons why I love the way you think, right? Now you're, now you're building on, on beauty of what God has given to you. I want to share with you what I see God doing in you and through you. See, these are loving, concrete statements of which somebody can kind of go back to you and say, uh, in leadership forms all the time, they say, hey, don't just tell somebody you appreciate them. I mean, that's a great card. Like, I appreciate what you do here. And period, send it off. But you want to be specific. Well, God has been specific with us. And so we can be specific with one another and help each other into concrete love. Yet, that's not all where we're going today. But that was, those are some good helpful hints for some of us who are kind of floundering in our place and space around that. You know, one of my deepest desires for us at Ipsy Free in our community, is to become incredibly biblical literate. Incredibly biblically literate. Is that right? Yeah, that's what I meant. Why? Because it helps us to live out the love of God. It helps helps us to live out the kingdom call in our lives. 
It helps us to know how God thinks and what he, what he asks of us. I mean, even Francis's comment, you know, we, we may struggle with the heaviness of holiness, right? This huge weight, but when we come to recognize that he calls us into holiness and he's the one who makes us holy, we are, oh, well, that takes a load off, doesn't it? We, we want to we follow Jesus because he loves us, and we want to obey him because he loves us, not obey in order to get his love. It's a whole, it's a game changer, folks. It is a game changer. So uh, the ways that we try to help you become biblically literate here is we remind you that you need to be reading your Bible not just in a communal space, which is great, but we want you to read your own Bible. Uh, when we're together, we want to read it together, too. We want to read it together, which we do. Uh, and then teaching on the history of the context of the Bible, uh, giving you snippets, not a whole diatribe, but really trying to help you to understand the context of what's transpiring, not just of the present moment and action and application that you need to do. Because when we can put it into context, we can fall in love with what God has done and what he's going to do. And then relating God's word to our everyday living and loving him and others is so vitally important in our idea of being biblically literate, to live out the word that has been for us. So we started uh, by the reading in Ruth, and I want to get there in a second, but I want to remind you, I kind of set that up on purpose, is that Ruth is this wonderful book, and if you read the little snippet, you realize uh, in the email newsletter, you realize that God's not mentioned at all in Ruth, but it's a beautiful, beautiful letter that has uh, wonderful aspects of literary genre all littered all through it in just four simple chapters. But this is the setup. This is the setup to, to Ruth. In Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Now, if you're familiar with Judges, you recognize that that was a period of time which uh, that God would raise up these people that were not like judges in courtrooms, but actually more like rulers over a period of time. And during that period of time, they didn't have a king but they had these people that were raised up. And if you read it, you'll recognize these people that God raised up, even Samson, who's, who's written about, and Gideon, who is written around in Hebrews 11 and the chapter of faith, you're like, what? Really? But this, these words at the end of Judges, written and inspired by the Holy Spirit, given to those who were writing it at the time, we're a setup to Ruth. We're a setup to Ruth. It's God's love, love, love letter, the whole book of the Bible, but love letter to you. So Ruth. Uh, maybe some of you are familiar, but there was a family of four and there was a famine in the land, or some, some would come to understand it, food insecurity issues in the land, right? And there was a famine in the land, and so Amalek and his family decided to leave Israel and to find food and they settled in a land called Moab and around people of Moab. When they settled there, um, these sons uh, get married uh, to two people, Orpah and Ruth. Orpah and Ruth. Well, the interesting thing is the father dies while in Moab 
And these two sons pass away too. So the wife, Naomi, is there. And she realizes there's nothing in Moab for me. Uh, My family's not here. My land's not here. Uh, Even my religious upbringing is not in this place or space. And so it's time for me to head back because of all the tragedy that has transpired in my life. And so in this process, I'm, she's thinking of her two daughters-in-law who have and are still by her side. And he, she says to them, hey, uh, Ruth and Orpah, you guys, you guys need to go back to your families. Uh, there is no way that I am going to, and this may sound a little weird or strange or whatever, I am going to have any more sons for you to marry. Back then, uh, there was this uh, kind of this rule and order that if uh, if there were other sons yet to be married, but not old enough that those wives of the older brothers who may have passed away, would, they would wait for these younger, younger brothers. I mean, it was part of it. And she says, no, you go back to your families. Go back to your land. Re-engage there. And so Orpah says, you know, that's not such a bad idea. I love the family I married into, but it's time for me to leave and create my own, uh, my own space in, with my family. But Ruth, Ruth didn't. Ruth, a, a Moabite marrying an Israelite, we could get into all of that. That's weird and shouldn't have happened, but it did. And she says no. In fact, these are the words that we just heard but I want to read them to you again because they're powerful. They're a demonstration of love, a demonstration of God's love through this relationship. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, Naomi, I will die. I will be buried May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, key word, Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Oh, she said, I, I'm not leaving you, Mom. I'm going with you, mom. I mean, she tightened up the relationship. It no longer became an in-law thing. It became a mom thing. And that's, that's wonderful and beautiful in and of itself. A few years ago, when we were a, few, a little bit younger and our kids were still at home, we took a family vacation uh, to Orlando. We stayed in a resort. They had a pool and uh, all of our kids liked to swim, even our youngest at the time, who was, uh, I think she was four at the time. And uh, the interesting thing is that uh, Abigail would, uh, she would make her way around the pool. She didn't swim necessarily out in the open, but she'd make her way around the pool. And uh, what we found out later um, is that she would introduce herself. And this is how we found out. So we walk into breakfast. They have this big buffet breakfast where we we packed as much food in our bodies as we could when we, before we walked into one of these uh, uh, very expensive uh, uh, you know, Disney World. Anyway, uh, we, you know, you just try to pack it in and like, I'm not paying the prices as much as I have to, right? So we, hey kids, just eat as much as you like, right? And so 
we're standing at the door, and we're holding the door. And all these people went by, hey, Abigail. Hi, Abigail. Hi, Abigail. And we're like, oh, man. And as a parent of a four-year-old, you're like, how in the world do all these people know my daughter? I don't know you. Well, Ab has always had this very uh, extroverted, outgoing, uh, several of our girls have, uh, way of being. And in fact, when she made her way around the, we found out later, when she made her way around the pool, it would be like this. Hi, my name's Abigail. Do you know Jesus? Oh, yeah. You know, none of them, none of them hunted us down or anything like that. But they, you know, I mean, and we, because that was part of her, part of who she was. Well, a few years later, when she was at school in Coldwater, um, the same, same thing was in her uh, to, uh, to ask her friends who she knew didn't go to church if they knew Jesus. And after a while, some of these friends, they began to have a Bible study, and, and one of them didn't know Jesus. And so right there in the playground, Abigail prayed for her friend to accept Jesus, and they accepted Christ. And my dad at the time was uh, retired and was uh, full on, uh, outside of some other things, was a Gideon. Um, and if you're not familiar with the Gideons, they are the ones that hand out Bibles at university settings and high schools and elementary schools where they're allowed and invited, and my dad was big into that at the time. And so uh, Ab, I don't know how it happened, but Ab must have had a conversation with her grandfather and said, hey, I, I led, a, led one of my friends to Jesus. He said, well, do you need a Bible? Which we, and my dad had stacks of them in their garage. And uh, she took one and gave it away. Well, Ab um, then had the opportunity to speak at a couple of Gideon events because she had walked through this whole process. Just a wonderful thing. See, an act of love can change a life. An act of love can change a life. Not only uh, maybe the person that you're loving, but the person, you, the person. I mean, love sometimes changes circumstances, but love always changes us. Always changes us, right? So back to Ruth and the story. Uh, Ruth's not married, and Naomi is realizing that uh, this is not a good situation, especially for Ruth, but also for the family. She has no lineage to pass down uh, what has been given to her, and there's a, there's a piece of land back in Judah that is hers, and so they need food, and as was set up in Israel at the time, around the edges of most fields was left food. Uh, whether it's weed or fruit or vegetables or those type of things. They were just left, and that's where we get the term. A lot, of, a lot of times, if you see the word gleaner, that's where you get that terminology. Well, uh, Naomi says to Ruth, hey, why don't you go and go to this field? Uh, this guy named Boaz, he's related to us, and I am sure that he will allow you to have some food. Just follow behind and, and uh, grab some food and bring it home. And that happened over a period of time, um, so much so that Boaz took notice. Now, Boaz uh, is not married, as we understand it in the, in the text, and takes even greater notice of the situation. Well, long and short, Ruth and Boaz um, are, are married. Not before um, 
there's a, another relative that actually supersedes Boaz, um, but uh, that relative does not want to marry. Not, he wanted the land, but he didn't want Ruth. Yeah, interesting kind of scenario, right? There's no love there. And uh, Boaz advocated for, uh, for Ruth and marries Ruth, gets the land, and then the beautiful thing transpires. Something that probably Naomi thought was long gone, and I'm not even sure about Ruth. We're not told in the text how Ruth felt about this, but the Lord allowed, and that's how the scripture reads, the Lord allowed Ruth to become pregnant and give birth, give birth to a son. Do you remember in Judges where it said, uh, and Israel had, you know, they didn't, did all, you know, did whatever they wanted to do in their own eyes, you know, they had no king. Well, this is, this is how Ruth 4 ends. So Boaz took Ruth into her, his home, Ruth uh, chapter 4, verse 13, I think it's up there, into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son, and then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age, for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. Now this is the key. This is the love in solid, concrete form. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David, who is the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. So when we're looking for concrete examples of love lived out, we can easily find ourselves in a story like Ruth's or maybe in your own story, where you realize the love of God has been lived out in such a concrete form, you cannot deny it. Redemption? Yes. Not just redemption, but poured on blessing upon blessing upon blessing to you. Uh, Ruth's story reminds me of Jeremiah's statement from God to his people. I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. So the question becomes, how, how do you define love? Right? When you love pizza and sunrises and coffee, your wife, your husband, your kids, your grandkids. How do you define love? Over and over again, Scripture defines love as this immovable, immovable thing, person, and it's God, because God is love. 
God is love. It's immovable. It cannot be overwhelmed. It's the rock that you cannot move. He is the one in which you chase into and after because he is the only one who cares for you. As you desire, you hunger for, and you search and seek for, God is love. Grateful for this story in Ruth that continues to tell the the story of not just this, uh, just kind of this romantic love that Ruth and Boaz had for one another, I believe, but also this, this, this very clear, immovable love that continues to chase God's people down through them as they obediently live for him and inside the love that he has designed for them. So for us, so for us. I'm not sure that Naomi had any clue what kind of love was going to be coming at her when she went back to Israel. In fact, we look at the first chapter, or the second chapter, I believe, and we find that uh, Naomi does not want to be called Naomi anymore because it means pleasant. She wants to be called bitter. Mara, I want to be called, right? Bitter. But in four short chapters, we find that I am sure she discards the name bitter and takes on the name pleasant or beautiful once again. So let me ask you, how do you plan to actively receive God's love this week? You see, uh, I don't believe it was an accident by any stretch of the imagination that Naomi decided to go back home. I mean, she went back to her people, her land, her God. So what is it for you? How are you going to actively receive God's love this week? What do you obediently need to follow him in? Revelation tells us that we need to return to our first love, right? Maybe that's you this morning. You've been running hard away from, or you've just been avoiding God, and it's time to kneel before him and allow him to love you in the way that Naomi had no clue, and neither do you. Secondly, maybe you're in the place where Boaz was. How do you plan to actively give away God's love How do you plan to actively give away God's love? I mean, Boaz just did what was called to in the, you know, in the customs of the day. How in the world did he know that love would just spill out, not only to to Ruth and to a child that they would once have, but then just back on himself in such such a wonderful way because he left the margins of his land for those who needed them. Do you hear that? Wow. 
take a few moments, if you have your hand out, write a couple of things down. Just how are you, how are you gonna receive God's love actively this week? Go ahead. I know, silence is killer in church. And if you have one or two places where you think the Lord is leading you there, by the Holy Spirit's inspiration, how do you plan to actively give away God's love this week? John Wesley has this prayer that uh, for some of us, we know that it's found in uh, his covenant prayer. We know it as that. But think about this. In light of what we learn about Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and the whole family line, he says, he writes, I am no longer my own but yours, God. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Uh-oh. There we go. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now I made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. That is a version of a love prayer, if you will, from John Wesley the Lord. Maybe we can co-opt this, but maybe this week, uh, in your journal, in your time alone, you could write your own love letter to the Lord. Tell him how you love him. Tell him how you're willing to give it all. Allow him to take it all for him. Because God is love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you Father, I thank you for your love. Maybe I'm just caught up into it uh, at this time of the year, but when I see how you have interlaced and layered in your love and your covenant with your people and nation, and then how you lived it out through your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, and then all the way to this moment in time, I am blown away by the love that is concrete. It's firm. It's established. It's true because it's you. And so I am grateful, Father. Lord, lead us to be people who live out love in practical, everyday ways. Teaching people how to spell or read. listening to them telling them our story 
our love for you. As freely as we would tell somebody that we love pizza, that we love the sunshine or coffee. Lord, you are the immovable one. It's on you that we build our life. Spirit, continue to work in this space. Continue to remind us of your great love. Great love that we we see written within a manuscript in the Bible that doesn't even mention God and yet interweaves a nation without a king to a nation with a king. It leads to giving us the king of kings. Mm. You are love. Mm.